This is an audio-only version of a Then and Now video. To see the full video, search Then and Now on YouTube. Enjoy. What can we learn about morality from the Holocaust? In the last video, How We Become Genocidal, here somewhere, I looked at the psychological factors that lead ordinary people to kill, asking what is it that motivates humans to be so immoral? Today, I want to ask what that can teach us about morality itself. To do so, we'll employ the help of sociologist Zygmunt Bauman and look at things like bureaucracy, the rescuers of Jews in Nazi-occupied Europe, and we'll see if we can try to find an objective core to what morality might be. But simply and briefly, what is morality? Morality and ethics are the question of right and wrong behaviour. Moral questions about friendship, family, money, politics, following the rules of the road, they're all a central part of our everyday lives. We tend to follow certain rules and ideas about what the right thing to do is. You should keep a promise to your friend, or drive under the speed limit, for example. But where do these rules come from? What's their source? The dominant perspective is that moral norms come from society. Their cause or source is societal. Certain behaviours are beneficial for the society you live in. The behaviour, driving on the correct side of the road, for example, is functional, useful. This means that morality only exists because of the social context you live in. If you lived on a desert island, it wouldn't really matter what you did. The sociologist Emile Durkheim said that man is a moral being only because he lives in society. But this means that if moral rules come from society, you can only be judged right or wrong by that society. Immoral behaviour is measured as a deviation from a norm, a standard, a norm or a standard that is supplied by society. On the desert island, there are no norms or standards. And if a society practices cannibalism, who's to say that's wrong? Who's to say murder or human sacrifice are wrong if that's just how a group of people lives? And who can prove that the Holocaust was morally wrong if the perpetrators were simply following the laws of their country? Clearly, morality must not just come from the norms and rules and standards of particular societies. This is a problem that sociologist Zygmunt Bauman addresses in his book Modernity and the Holocaust. And it's a legal issue that came up in the post-war trials of German soldiers. They were, they argued often, just following orders. Hannah Arendt wrote that what we have demanded in these trials, where the defendants had committed legal crimes, is that human beings be capable of telling right from wrong even when all they have to guide them is their own judgement, which, moreover, happens to be completely at odds with what they must regard as the unanimous opinion of all those around them. Bauman calls this the question of whether there can be a moral responsibility for the resisting of socialisation. 
If social rules, years of propaganda, for example, your upbringing, everything you've ever known, call for you to kill, and you decide it's immoral to do so, you decide to resist, then morality must also come from somewhere else. And I think we all have an intuition that this is the case. We just know in our gut that it's wrong to be violent, independent of what we're told, don't we? Does moral responsibility not come from somewhere in the individual too? Bauman has an answer that's both simple and complicated at the same time. In short, he says that the source of morality is not social rules, but the moment when two or more people come together in proximity with each other. He says that morality comes from the social, but not the societal sphere. It comes from being with others, in a social context, but not from societal training, enforcement, culture, or education. There is a difference, there's something between these two phenomena. Fundamentally, he says, morality is a responsibility to another person. Imagine an encounter between two people in a state of nature, a pre-societal world. There could be a number of responses. They might act with suspicion, with fear, with retreat, or with communication, with friendliness, with cooperation. Either way, there's a response, a back and forth, a need to react, a re, a what should I do. I'm no longer alone, no longer the master of all of my choices. There's another that constrains me, or at least alters my options. Why is re a prefix to so many moral words? Reprehensible, reproach, recede, reflect, respond, responsibility. There's something fundamental and universal about this moment. Responsibility is the condition of having to react and respond in the proximity of another person. It is, Bauman says, unconditional. It precedes knowledge, language, culture, and norms. He says that morality is not a product of society. Morality is something society manipulates, exploits, redirects, jams. If this is the case, then morality and proximity are fundamentally linked. So how does this fit in with the Holocaust? First, it's consistent with what we saw in the last video. In Christopher Browning's Ordinary Men, the police that are ordered to murder unarmed men, women and children struggled to come to terms with their task, many of them being physically sick, for example. One officer said that some of our comrades got sick from the smell and sight of the half-decomposed corpses, so they had to throw up all over the truck. Another described it as a bestial scent. Some reported, and this is consistent with evidence from other genocides too, that if they knew the person, or they'd gotten to know them somehow while they were a prisoner, they'd struggle to kill them. So when confronted with the responsibility for another, people find it difficult to kill. Some studies have even pointed to how soldiers purposely shot around their targets, for example. 
Now again, this might be intuitive to most of us, but what's more interesting, to me anyway, is how the Nazis got around this. Bauman says the answer is not only found in anti-Semitism, but in the nature of modernity itself. Modernity technologizes, it bureaucratizes, it has the effect of distancing us from one another. He writes, this neutralizing, isolating, and marginalizing was an achievement of the Nazi regime, deploying the formidable apparatus of modern industry, transport, science, bureaucracy, and technology. Without them, the Holocaust would be unthinkable. The grandiose vision of a Jew-free Europe, of the total annihilation of the Jewish race, would peter out in a multitude of bigger and smaller pogroms perpetrated by psychopaths, sadists, fanatics, or other addicts of gratuitous violence. Bauman points out that at the rate of death on Kristallnacht, it would have taken 200 years to kill as many as were eventually killed. The Nazis needed modern technology and bureaucracy which are both things that distance people from one another, both physically and mentally. Take bureaucracy. Bureaucracy leads to a division of labour, and part of this is a kind of managerial authority. Authority, in many cases, means a transfer of moral responsibility onto a superior. You don't have to think about the big picture. You have a single task in the overall project. Tasks are divided, and so the task you perform is separated from the overall goal. You could, hypothetically, be a train driver transporting Jews to Auschwitz, but be unaware of what you're doing because of the division of labour. The same train car that transported Jews is used to transport coal and wood and soldiers, so engineers asked to calculate the tonnage of human bodies use the same rational means they use to calculate the weight of coal. Under modernity, moral knowledge is replaced with technical know-how. There's also the distancing that took place by ghettoization, by the shaving of heads, by enforcing the wearing of the Star of David, the distancing in propaganda depicting the Jews as a virus. And this also fits with Milgram's study, where the closer you were to the person you were meant to be shocking, the less likely it was that you'd comply. Much of this fits with Bauman's theory. Once you remove proximity, you weaken the feeling of responsibility towards another person in need. But there is another way this topic might be approached. By looking at the rescuers of Jews in Nazi-occupied Europe. In a landmark study, for example, the historian Perry London found that there were three dominant factors in those who rescued Jews. First, a spirit of adventurousness. Second, a strong tie with a parent with strong moral conduct themselves. And third, a sense of being socially marginal. All of one group, for example, had parents that taught them Bible studies at home. Others felt like they were also outsiders in society, Baptists in Catholic countries or Catholics in Protestant countries. So this leads to a challenge to Bauman. 
The literature on rescuers implies not that altruism and the compulsion to rescue arises from proximity, but that it must be taught or at least is intensified by a context like being marginal or by reading the Bible. But there is one more factor. Most rescuers had a moment of recognition, a realisation about what was happening. They saw beatings or found bodies, had an encounter with a Jew hunter. There was a recognition of needs. And note the re in recognition again. Historian Douglas Hunek argues that there's often a moment where rescuers decide that they are personally responsible for an intervention that a failure to act will have consequences, that if they didn't do something, someone would die. Rescuers often saw a situation in terms of a need that they could fulfil, a hiding place, food, false documents. They often said things like they had to do it, that they had no choice, or what else could I do? Which fits perfectly with Bauman's proximity theory. When they saw a need they could address, rescuers were compelled, felt a duty, a responsibility, like a magnet. Ultimately then, when we're confronted with a situation in which another person needs something for their survival and we can fulfil that need, there's likely a strong natural and biological compulsion to do so. Conversely, Distance erodes that compulsion. If morality has some objective foundation in proximity and responsibility, then distance becomes dangerous. This has a worrying significance in the modern world, when technology, social media, bureaucracy, individualism and neoliberalism distance and isolate us from one another every day. Bauman says that the significance and danger of moral indifference becomes particularly acute in our modern, rationalised, industrial, technologically proficient society, because in such a society, human action can be effective at a distance. Long-range weapons, whether old-style guns or drone warfare, the division of labour in bureaucracy, especially in welfare systems, the internet, YouTube, all of these things could have a dangerous effect on how we interpret what we're doing when others are involved, when we're in a potentially moral scenario. It's easy to be a troll online, for example, much harder, of course, in real life. Thinking about teaching morality or building moral institutions must start from this simple foundation. Proximity and responsibility are key. That's the last of two videos on the Holocaust and genocide for now. I'll return to genocide at some point in the future, but for now I've learned a hell of a lot about the motivating factors that lead people to atrocious and violent and immoral acts, and as a consequence of that, learned a hell of a lot about morality and ethics that can be used as a foundation for arguments going forward, and I think Fundamentally, I've taken a then and now approach that has drawn from history, psychology, philosophy, politics, the humanities, all of which are integral um, and we must have an interdisciplinary approach to these things. Um, 
Importantly now, I just would not be able to make these two videos without all of these wonderful people because sensitive topics like this just won't be monetized on YouTube. So if you want to help me make more videos like this, head to patreon.com forward slash then and now or click the link in the description below. You can support me for as little as a dollar per month. Next, Thomas Hobbes. An introduction, a short, simple, uh, traditional then and now introduction to Thomas Hobbes and Leviathan, followed by a more in-depth, interesting look at human nature. Good or bad? Violent? Peaceful? How might we find out philosophically, archaeologically? Uh, join me next time to find out. But remember, if you can't support me on Patreon, don't panic. Just click like, share and subscribe below. Go on, do it now. I dare you. See you next time.